0: Day 36, Jack Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We do not go gently into the good weekend on this program. Let's get started. We start off today's show like we start off every program, three big things. Big thing number one, Anthony Scaramucci, who is the new White House communications director, um, he goes nuts yesterday, and the question becomes, is this part of some grand plan, or did he just go nuts? Now, whenever I say this, I always get an email or two from people thinking that I am I am mocking people in New York. I, I really don't intend to do that, but Anthony Scaramucci looks like he would answer a casting call for the TV show The Sopranos. He looks like the stereotypical New York mobster. And he talks like the stereotypical New York mobster. Yesterday he decides now this is the White House communications director. He decides to place a phone call to the reporter for the New Yorker magazine who covers the White House. And the, the the underlying reason for the call is he's upset that the New Yorker magazine was reporting about who President Trump was having dinner with. Now, um, the president's schedules are, are public documents. So that, that's kind of the background on this. But I, I just... I have been wrestling all morning with how to describe some of the things he says. And like I said to Gene Miller a couple minutes ago, a lot of times in real life, people will say things that I cannot repeat on the radio for fear of getting called into a meeting. And my life is all about trying to avoid meetings on things like that. But a lot of times I am able to kind of sanitize what they say and give you an idea of what they have said, even though I don't use the actual words. I'm honest to goodness, not sure I can do that with what this guy says. But let me read you a portion of the account written by this reporter from New Yorker magazine. All right. Here's the guy's name is Ryan Lizza. Okay, here's what he writes. On Wednesday night, I received a phone call from Anthony Scaramucci, the new White House communications director. He wasn't happy. Earlier in the night, I tweeted, citing a senior White House official, that Scaramucci was having dinner at the White House with President Trump, the First Lady, Sean Hannity, and the former Fox News executive, Bill Shine. It was an interesting group and raised some questions. Was Trump getting strategic advice from Hannity? Was he considering hiring Shine? But Scaramucci had his own question for me. Who leaked it to you, he asked. I said I couldn't give him that information. He responded by threatening to fire the entire White House communications staff. What I'm going to do is I will eliminate everyone in the comms team, communications team, and we'll start over, he said. I laughed, not sure if he really believed that such a threat would convince a journalist to re- reveal a source. He continued to press me and complain about the staff he's inherited in a new job. I asked these guys not to leak anything, and they can't help themselves, he said. You're an American citizen. This is a major catastrophe for the American country. So I'm asking you, as an American patriot, to give me a sense of who leaked it, now, let me. Just, I'm just going to digress for a minute. I, I believe, I understand that leaks do cause can can cause concern and put the country at risk. Um, a leak that says that Donald Trump is having dinner with Sean Hannity doesn't exactly strike me as a catastrophe for the country, but that's just me. right, the story continues. In Scaramucci's view, the fact the word of the dinner had reached a reporter was evidence that his rivals in the West Wing, particularly Reince Priebus, the White House chief of staff, were plotting against him. While they have publicly maintained that there is no bad blood between them, Scaramucci and Priebus have been feuding for months. After the election, Trump asked Scaramucci to join his administration, and Scaramucci sold his company, Skybridge Capital, in anticipation of taking on a senior role. But Priebus didn't want him in the White House, and successfully blocked him from being appointed to a job until last week when Trump offered him the communications job over Priebus's vehement objections. In response to Scaramucci's appointment, Sean Spicer, an ally of Priebus's, resigned his position as press secretary. And in an additional slight to Priebus, the White House official's announcement of Scaramucci's hiring noted that he would report directly to the president rather than to the chief of staff. This does kind of sound like, you know, days of our lives, but it's more important than that. All right, It continues. Scaramucci's first public appearance as communication director was a slick and conciliatory performance at the lectern in the White House briefing room last Friday. He suggested it was time for the White House to turn a page. But since then, he has become obsessed with leaks and threatened to fire staffers if he discovers that they have given unauthorized information to reporters. Michael Short, a White House press aide, considered close to Priebus, resigned on Tuesday after Scaramucci publicly spoke about firing him. Meanwhile, several damaging stories about Scaramucci have appeared in the press, and he blamed Priebus for most of them. Now he wanted to know whom I had been talking to about his dinner with the president. Scaramucci, who initiated the call, did not ask for the conversation to be off the record or on background. Is it an assistant to the president, he asked. Again, told him that I couldn't say, Okay, I'm going to fire every one of them and then you haven't protected anybody. So the entire place will be fired over the next two weeks. I asked him why it was so important for the dinner to be kept a secret. Surely I said it would become public at some point. I've asked them not to leak things for a period of time and give me a honeymoon period. They won't do it. He was getting more and more worked up, and he eventually convinced himself that Priebus was my source. They'll all be fired by me, he said. I fired one guy the other day. I have three to four people I'll fire tomorrow. I'll get to the person who leaked that to you. Reince Priebus, if you want to leak something, he'll be asked to resign very shortly. The issue, he said, was that he believed Priebus had been worried about the dinner because he hadn't been invited. Reince is a, can't say that word, blanking paranoid schizophrenic, a paranoiac. Scaramucci said he channeled Priebus as he spoke. Oh, Bill Shine is coming. Let me leak the can't say that word blanking thing and see if I can can't say that something block these people the way I can't say that word. Something blocked Scaramucci for six months. Priebus did not respond to my request for comment. Scaramucci was particularly incensed by a Politico report about his financial disclosure form, which he viewed as an illegal act of retaliation by Priebus. The reporter said Thursday morning that the document was publicly available and she had obtained it from the Export-Import Bank. Scaramucci didn't know this at the time, and he insisted to me that Priebus had leaked the document and the act was a felony. I have called the FBI and the Department of Justice, he told me. Are you serious, I asked. The swamp will not defeat him. He said, breaking into the third person. They're trying to resist me, but it's not going to work. I've done nothing wrong on my financial disclosures, so they're going to have to go, um, can't say that word. It would be an anatomically impossible thing, but that's what he said. Scaramucci told me that unlike other senior officials, he had no interest in media attention. I'm not Steve Bannon. I'm not trying to, huh, that's the phrase that he uses that I can't even figure out how to describe it on the radio, um, Needless to say, it is anatomically impossible and reflects this ongoing issue that uh, some people in the Trump cabinet appear to have with the size of a certain part of their anatomy. And I will leave it at that. He said, speaking of Trump's chief strategist, I'm not trying to build my own brand off the, can't say that word, strength of the president. I'm here to serve the country. Um, It goes on and on and on. Um, what I want to do is I want to, can't say that word, kill all the leakers, and I want to get the president's agenda on track so we can succeed for the American people. And it goes on and on and on. But it is an obscenity-filled tirade to a reporter um, where he's talking about how he's going to clean house and he's going to get rid of this person or that person, and... Now, of course, this is the lead story um, today, as you would think it would be. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, here's, to me, the interesting aspects of this story. Did this guy do this with the the knowledge and approval of President Trump? I mean, is this Trump's way of, in that kind of New York teamster slash mobster type style, of trying to you know send a, a message or is this guy just completely off on his own does it matter or does it not matter 414 is the acunate mortgage talk and text line I guess let me just start the conversation this is the last thing that this White House needs I have defended President Trump when it comes to policy decisions that I think he's right on and, and I think there have been a number of them but you know this type of childish boorish Schoolyard bullying kind of indicates to me that you've got an internal White House staff that is completely and totally out of control. And I guess I can con- only conclude two things. If, if Anthony Scaramucci still has his job by the end of the day, it would only be because this is the kind of tirade that was either endorsed in advance or endorsed after the fact by President Trump. Otherwise, you try to do this at any employer. If, for example, after my friend Steve Scafidi was hired by WTMJ to fill in the noon-to-three slot that I was in for 18 years or whatever, I decided to call up some reporter and go off on an obscenity-laced tirade, you know, saying the same sort of thing, I- I'd be gone. I-, I just would. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I. This, it is just absolutely, in my opinion, crazy. And this type of stuff. These, this open warfare and the crude fashion that it is conducted in, to me, is a huge distraction, number one, to the serious issues of the country. And number two, again, makes you seriously question whether this country is being run by people who have, I don't know, the impulse control of a fruit fly. 414 That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss. <music> 850 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ I I swear I have never seen anything like this I understand that you know in previous white houses there's always tension between you know the the staff and people are are trying to strive for power and all but but day before last apparently uh, the new communications director Anthony Scaramucci who again looks like a central casting mobster uh, decides to go on an obscenity-laden tirade against other people in the administration threatening he's going to kill people, he's going to fire everybody, and now this is the conversation. I I think, to me, he could not have done that if he hadn't have told Trump in advance he was going to do it. What purpose does this serve? I think, I mean, honest to goodness, if I was the boss if I was the boss, Scaramucci would be gone today. It is unbecoming, and it is a distraction. Bob downtown. Bob, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. What do you think? I,
1: I can see. Uh, I can see it'd be hard for you to describe this because it is literally. <laughs> it, 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 it's like if you if you had it on a television show, no one would, would believe it. They'd strike it as come on. No one would actually do that in right. real life. That's, right. not, that's not plausible. <laughs> we can't put that up there. Right. I mean. And he called the
0: reporter. I mean, it's not like he was overheard in the men's room talking to somebody else. He calls the reporter and starts saying these things.
1: Right. It's the kind of language that you might, uh, to to harken back to one of Trump's things during the campaign, you might say to somebody in a locker room, your best friend, if you're ranting and raving and you were really ticked off. But to do this, first of all, at any other level of any public office, or for that matter, any private company, if you're the communications yep. person for the Bucks yep. or for the Brewers or for Foxconn or for that matter, for a small uh, deli in Shorwich, they would they require <laughs> you immediately yep. a- and then put out a- an announcement that that was not becoming of the White House. We don't condone that kind of behavior. Obviously, we would never try to intimidate a reporter. And right. be- on top of all that, so Trump had dinner with Sean Hannity. I would think most people would be yeah, whatever.
0: Well, right. That, that's Hannity. it. I mean, I like that's who the cares? whole pre- right. That's the whole premise. That this this is a catastrophe for America. I want to know who your source is. Okay, he had dinner with Sean Hannity. I mean, I don't know. That's a catastrophe. I mean, now I, I understand. I, I, they're frustrated just, about the leaks, but for goodness' sakes, there's a
1: way you deal with this. And this guy just seems to me like he's nuts. It's pure insanity. It's insanity on top of dysfunction on top of chaos. Right. If he had, if someone had tweeted. Um, some operational plans right. for uh, an oper- right. you, yeah. in North Korea. Yeah, okay, that's a serious problem. But the president had uh, <laughs> lunch or dinner with Sean Hannity, who's his number one sycophant. Big deal.
0: <laughs> that, no, thanks to call. I mean 1620 That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, and and there's there's a larger point to this, and it is that to me you you have and I I have. I try to cut the president some slack when it comes to policy types of things. But it's all this other stuff that's out there that gets in the way of being able to accomplish things. We're going to talk about the failure of uh, the skinny repeal of Obamacare. And a lot of that, I think, comes back to Trump's doorstep, because instead of trying to push this through, he's got people calling one of the Republican senators from Alaska and threatening her and things like that. It's just it's you. You. I I think there maybe there is this philosophy that maybe if you are a New York billionaire or multimillionaire, this is how you you operate. And and this is the way you talk to people. And these are the threats you make. And, And maybe that's how it works in that that world. That's not how it does or should work. Because now, I mean, what message have you sent to the world that you you think that we are not a laughing stock for people all over the world now reading these stories about this kind of out of control thing that's going on there? It's the last thing that this administration needs. Um, Bob and Greenfield writes. Good morning, Jeff. Lauren Michaels must be jumping up and down with joy. Yeah, that's a Saturday Night Live guy. Can you imagine what Saturday Night Live will do with stuff like this? I mean, it's just it, it's. It's just unbelievable that these type of things can go on. And, again, to me, it's a distraction. It stops things from getting – it stops the stuff that you need to get done from getting done. And that's – That's where this becomes, again, just an absolutely huge issue. Um, Cheryl, who is a regular listener, not necessarily a fan of the president, says, the administration has trashed the highest office in the nation. There is no respectability left in the office of the presidency. Seems like the more money and power they have, the less class these people have. In my opinion, these actions from persons that are supposed to have our respect, etc., are discovering, are disgusting. Is this the way our country is supposed to be run? Good examples that they are setting four one four seven nine nine one six twenty mary in Germantown mary good morning
2: good morning um I just wanted to say uh well I just wanted to ask you Jeff what would happen to you if you used that kind of language at WTMJ and fired
0: well or 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 let's say not certainly on the air I can't even I can't even figure out how to describe some of the things this guy said on the air without getting in trouble but yeah oh, I you mean couldn't. yeah and, and let's use the example Mary Let, let's let's forget the air thing let's say that there was something that I was having a rift with one of my co-workers and I decided I wanted to go public with it so I call some reporter somewhere and I say these same things I'd be gone that day i, I mean I, i'd get whistled into a meeting and they would say jeff have you lost your mind you know you're, you're you're saying you're using this kind of language and you're saying these things about one of your co-workers sorry and, and i think mary any company would treat somebody like that if they well, did that
3: uh, both
2: my husband and i have had 30 plus years in the public sector and so i just said to my husband this morning Is this the way that, you know, is this the way guys talk? Is this that kind of, and he's like, no, anybody from my, my uh, company would have been fired. And the thing is, even though he deleted the tweet like two hours later, that this is stuff that's archived into our history. Right. You know, this, this is, he's part of the White House staff now. Right. And, and, you know, to, to have this. Right. Go out to the Europeans. Go out, it, you know, what it's amazing the Americans.
0: Well, well, right. I mean, thanks. For, and it's not just the tweets. I mean, he sent he followed up some of this stuff with tweets. But he he, he has he calls up. It's not like a surprise ambush interview. It's not something like it's an off the record conversation. Although, you know, I think anybody would be a moron to have this kind of conversation in this fashion with any reporter on or off the record. But you know, he calls up the reporter to do these type of things. Uh, again, here here's a real test. If he is still in his job by the end of the day, that tells you that this was done with the at least with the knowledge of or urging of or certainly approval of the president. And that says a lot. It's 857. This is Jeff Wagner. Big thing. Number two is coming up. Health care. The mess continues. Stick around. It's 910 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The big dog. We call him BD, now producing the program. I did something yesterday that I almost never do. I was driving around, running errands. I was listening to the ball game. I had to turn it off. It just... I, and I, I almost never, never do that, but it was just you knew that the Brewers probably didn't weren't going to do very well because you've got they're going after up against the two-time Cy Young winner and they're starting a guy who probably doesn't belong in the major leagues. Not to not to diminish his ability. I mean, I don't belong in the major leagues either, but I'm I'm not pitching. Um and then it was like one home run after another. I swear I haven't heard that many home runs hit since I was pitching softball in 8th grade. I mean, I had one of those innings where I had like four guys in a row go deep on me, but I was pitching softball, it was just... Just an absolute embarrassment. You hope that they can turn this around, but it certainly looks like a team in free fall. And the most aggravating thing to me, not just that you don't like the losses as a fan, but this is something that all these smug national columnists in particular, and also like this writers, I, I read the Chicago Tribune sports section on a daily basis. Everybody's predicting, oh, the Brewers are going to fall apart. The Brewers are going to fall apart. And you just you just hate the fact that it appears that they're right. But big weekend series coming up. You can hear the game here. Oh, by the way, Um, For anybody who is keeping track, this is now, what, day six? Six days ago, last Saturday evening, you had that little six-year-old boy that was shot and killed in Milwaukee as he was at his grandmother's house, and that that led to, like, all the marches on on Sunday and the demands for the community come together. It it is now the next Friday, so we're, we're pushing a week, and still... The people responsible for that killing have have not been arrested this is not a criticism of the police department it is not a criticism of the DA's office but it is a criticism of some people in the community who obviously know who did it I mean that is just the reality within 30 seconds of this happening word got out there are people in the community who know who did it and if they were to come forward, probably identify these people and lead to evidence to get them off the street. But so far, that has not happened. At least there hasn't been enough evidence presented Um, And I know the cops are working diligently on this. There hasn't been enough evidence presented to at least issue charges. So when you talk about the the levels of unacceptable violence in the city of Milwaukee, and these are all very, very good points, and we all get frustrated about why this happens, a lot of times you have to turn that looking glass inside. And you have to say, what is it about the no-snitching culture that, again, has certain people making the decision that they don't want to come forward and offer information? Because like I say... There are people in the community who know exactly who did this. And if they chose to share that information, would get the murderer or murderers of a six-year-old off the street. But apparently, they're not willing to come forward, or they're not coming forward in sufficient, with sufficient detail to allow the authorities to do the thing. Okay, big thing number two. The skinny repeal of Obamacare fails, Now this happened late at night. Just let's review the bidding on what's happened here. Um, The House of Representatives. Paul Ryan is the um, Speaker of the House. The House of Representatives passed its own version of repeal and replace several weeks ago. That bill goes to the Senate, And, and let's go back to the old schoolhouse rock: How a bill becomes a law. House passes it. It goes to the Senate. The Senate has a number of choices. They can take up the bill in its current form. They can do something different, whatever. Um, So the House bill, and then what happens is after the Senate passes something it goes to what's called a conference committee where you have senators and then you have congressmen everybody gets together and they try to figure out work out their differences try to meld the two bills together and then they vote on it and that's how a bill becomes a law it goes to the white house and the president signs it if he chooses to do that all right so house of representatives has passed its version of repeal and replace Um, there are a lot of critics of this some people think it doesn't go far enough other people think it think it goes too far, but at least it's a start. All right, so it goes over to the Senate, and the Senate, well, first they try to pass a broader sort of repeal and replace. There's, 40, there's 52 Republicans in the Senate, so you can only lose two votes, um, and then if you lose then. If it makes it 50-50, assuming all the Democrats and the independents vote against it, you can only lose two votes. Well, um, the senator from Alaska and the senator from Maine, uh, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, they they haven't, for whatever reasons, they haven't been on board from the beginning. So you have really no margin for error. So what happens initially is a broader type of repeal and replace goes nowhere. So then the Senate votes on just a flat-out repeal, with the idea that we're going to do something, uh, we'll repeal, but over the course of the next two years, we'll work on replace. That goes nowhere. Last night, late night vote on what is the so-called skinny repeal. And what this would do is it would essentially leave Obamacare intact. But it would have eliminated a couple things. For example, it would have eliminated the individual mandate it would have on individuals. It would also have delayed the requirement that employers provide insurance to their employees till 2026. It would have um, done away with this, this tax on medical devices that I think pretty much everybody, Republicans and Democrats, agree is a kind of a bad idea. So the idea was behind this, everybody acknowledged that this was not a perfect bill. Um, the, the Senate was looking at the so-called skinny repeal. But the idea was you pass something in order to keep the conversation going. You pass something, and then the senators sit down with congressmen, and you, you work out something else. But you need to pass something in order to keep the dialogue going, to, in order to keep the process moving forward. And in what surprised, I think, a lot of people, John McCain, who came back um, quickly from his diagnosis of brain cancer, um, came back quickly. John McCain cast what turned out to be the deciding vote against this so-called skinny repeal, keeping the process moving forward. Um, It ended up going down. Um, it, It went down. And there's right now the process appears to be dead. Health care reform, at least for the foreseeable future, is off the table, which means Obamacare remains the law of the land, number one. But number two, for those of us who believe, contrary to what you might read in the newspaper, that Obamacare is failing that you have um, insurance companies that are pulling out of markets, that the costs are going up, that the choices are going down. Right now, that is the law of the land. Okay, four one four seven nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The strategy right now appears to be just let Obamacare fail. There there doesn't appear to be any alternative at this point in time. I seriously doubt that the Senate, after these very highly publicized battles and the inability to get a consensus, I doubt seriously that the rest of the year the Senate is going to resume um, the whole debate about Obamacare, which means Obamacare will continue, which means that in many insurance markets across the country, people will have much higher premiums and in some cases – Little or perhaps even no options for insurance. I think it was a catastrophe that this skinny repeal did not pass, not because this was the perfect bill, but because it was necessary to keep the dialogue going. Now, healthcare reform is pretty much dead in the water, and that's going to be, I think, disastrous for. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of Americans who are now stuck in these failing exchanges. Okay, 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. I mean, where, where do we go from here? Is, should we just now allow Obamacare to continue to run its course, which means higher premiums, no choices, and then, with the idea being, all right, two years from now, when people can't get insurance, then we have to deal with something, or or do we go back and try to start over? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I will tell you, I am disappointed that some senators would not at least move the process along. And now, I don't see, I don't see there being any choice other than to just let Obamacare go crater and that's going to be very, very difficult for a lot of people out there who are saying, oh, this is the greatest thing since canned beer. They're in for some rude awakenings, but I don't see that there's any choice anymore, and it's frustrating. 414-799-1620, what do you think? It's 920. This is Jeff Wagner. We discuss next. 922, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Foxconn says they will bring more than 10,000 jobs to southeast Wisconsin. What would the impact of all this... Uh, what would the impact of this deal be on the state's universities and colleges? John McHugh explores at 3.34 today during Wisconsin's Afternoon News, broadcasting live from German Fest, sponsored by Hometown Windows and Doors. The pulled pork sandwich down at German Fest, outstanding. Some of the best festival food ever. alright seven nine nine one six twenty, Bob in Appleton. Bob,
4: good morning.
5: Good morning. Um, I've been caught in this at 48 years old. I ended up to be a stage four prostate cancer victim, and uh, my insurance wouldn't cover Mayo, and Mayo is the only place that would help me. And so I did, and it cost me a bunch of money, but I ended up getting them Humana, which covered Mayo and Network, right? and now Humana pulled out of Wisconsin because of the Obama rules or whatever. They can't make it, so they pulled out. So here I sit. I've had insurance my whole life. Right. And now I cannot buy insurance that has mail and network. Right. And it's yeah. costing me tremendous. And I've paid for insurance my whole life. I've right. always had insurance. And now right? And here I am, and, and it can break me.
0: Right. And, and before, before Obamacare... You would have had a, a private insurance market that would have given you a series of different choices, a number of companies selling different policies, and, and you could have gone and you could have purchased the one that dealt with, you know, what you wanted, the one that, okay, you know, you know, you, you could have decided your network providers, right, and, and now – you don't have that choice and it's going to get worse bob and i'm very sorry for your situation it's going to get worse because there's going to be a lot of people in this country there's not even going to be an insurer operating in certain counties across this country i don't know what those people are going to do for choices because there's not going to be an
5: insurer it's it's uh there, there is no choice and 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 it's I'm an average working man. I had my own company. I've paid my dues. I was union. And now the union has that insurance, and they won't let me get it because I'm not working. Right. So I'm not working because <laughs> I'm fighting cancer. And I, I was union my whole life, and, and I never asked for anything from the union, never needed them. Right. Now when I say, you know, I own the company. I paid them hundreds of thousands of dollars. And now when I need it, right, I can't get it. And I, I, I've i done my share and then some. It, it, it's absolutely it, 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 right, it's, it's ludicrous.
0: Yeah, it's, Bob. But thanks, and I'm, I'm I'm sorry for your situation. And I, I understand lots of people are caught in that type of that type of situation where you under what is happening under Obamacare. That the, the whole, I mean, the big lie was: if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your plans, you can keep your plans. No, that that's just not the way it, it's working. I mean, you are you're stuck. On, you know, what limited options, uh, different, they have on the different exchanges. And around here, I mean, again, it, it, it varies, but around here, I mean, there are very, very limited networks that are participating in this. So, unlike if you get your insurance through your employer, where maybe you have your choice of, again, you, you have Ascension, the old Columbia St. Mary's, or Fredert, or, you know, what whatever, you know, the the different things that are there. I don't mean to skip out on some. But you know, you could choose, okay, you get this diagnosis. You can choose do I want to be part of the freighter system? Do I want to be part of Ascension, the Columbia St. Mary's, you know, do I want to be part of Aurora, which is of course the, the the giant. You know, you could pick all you could pick where you want to go. Nowadays, at least if you're on these plans, that's not the option that's there. Jerry in Appleton. Jerry, you're on six twenty W T M J.
4: Oh, hi Jeff. Thanks okay. for taking that call. Sure. I was very disappointed in this. I agree with you that it, that, it, that it didn't go far enough and and was not a perfect, perfect deal yep. from that standpoint. But it got us down the right road. Uh, I would tell you if you follow our Senator Ron Johnson on these issues. I mean, I I got to the point where I told my brother if Ron Johnson votes for it, I'm okay with it. If he doesn't vote for it, I'm not okay. Right. <laughs> right. I'm right. okay with that. You know, I said. But I mentioned your screen at one point. I said, remember in 2012 when the Supreme Court handed down on the decision that the individual mandate was constitutional because right. they called it a tax, that was a gut check. I mean, I practically had to pull my car over I right was driving because I was sick to my stomach. That was that John. Right that was John, Roberts, right. that was
0: John Roberts. Right. That and that John might that might be the decision yeah. he's remembered for. That he yeah, exactly, cast that vote.
4: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when people tell me I don't like John, uh, uh, John Roberts, I know right away what they're talking about. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, this would have got rid of the individual mandate and also the requirement, which puts a tremendous burden on these small business right. owners, you know, to, to, to buy insurance or to, to furnish insurance. So it would have did that. And it, and it might have paved the way for going further here. Right.
0: Down and and that's my point. It, it would have, it would have, thanks for the call, it would have moved the ball further down the field. Now, This isn't going anywhere, and you're right. See, I just want to talk about this real quickly before I take the break. The individual mandate, like the headlines today, if they pass the skinny repeal, 15 million people might have been uninsured by next year. Well, that wouldn't be uninsured because they necessarily couldn't buy insurance. It would be uninsured because they chose not to, because they chose not to. And this whole argument about the employer mandates, look, here's what's going on. Right now, the law says if you have part-time employees that work at least 30 hours a week, you have to offer them insurance. It always used to be only full-time people. So what have employers done? Well, employers have just cut part-time hours. So now you have people that used to work 37 or 38 hours. They only work 25 hours. So they lose 13 hours. They still don't get insurance coverage, but now they're able to work less. It creates a burden for the employer, and it doesn't help doesn't help millions or hundreds of thousands of employees it just makes no sense 928 jeff wagner 620 wtmj Nine thirty-six. Jeff Wagner. Six twenty. WTMJ is a weekend series against the division rival. The best way for the crew to get back on track. An optimistic Matt Pauley. He's always a glasses half full guy explains why that's true at six oh seven tonight during sports central live from german fest sponsored by hometown windows and doors getting a number of emails from people on the left and that's that's fine who say well we, we've got the solution to obamacare Here, here's what needs to happen now just the government that would be us the taxpayers massive subsidies this is my word massive massive subsidies paid out to insurance carriers more than we are already paying just open up the taxpayer pockets open up the vault pay massive subsidies give the insurance companies more and more money so that they don't lose money just let's pay them we'll give them a lot of money um, from the taxpayers cough coff- the taxpayers coffers so they'll have an incentive to continue to participate in the programs um, that's of course another large step towards nationalized health insurance but that's the step that i think some people want to see taken and i think it's actually what some people thought was originally going to happen when Obamacare was passed. This is not a surprise that we are in this situation now. And I think a lot of people who pushed for Obamacare, what they really wanted to do, they knew that this would happen, and they knew it was getting ready to crater, and they knew it was going to fail, and that's ultimately what they thought would happen. Well, once we get this entitlement program in place, we can never go back to the old system, which admittedly had some problems. I just didn't think you needed to blow up the whole thing to deal with the issues of pre existing coverage, or the issue, well, primarily the issue of pre existing coverage. But now that we've blown it up, you can't apparently ever go back without getting the headlines 15 million more people uninsured. Again, many of them uninsured because they choose to not carry insurance. Um, so it'll be, I don't know where this whole thing goes, but I will tell you, it is a stone cold mess, or at least if it's not a mess. It'll do till the real mess gets here, and we'll see how that all plays out. All right. Big thing number three. And there's really, I, I don't know, certainly there's not a bigger story this week. There's not a bigger story this month. There's not a bigger story this year. There might not be a bigger story this decade than the announcement two days ago that Foxconn, the multi-billion dollar Taiwanese company, is coming to Wisconsin to build a plant plant that will dwarf the size of the Pentagon. The exact location is unclear, but it appears pretty certain that they're going to be either in southern Racine County or northern Kenosha County right by the interstate. The um, Foxconn says that it will initially put in 10, be as in billion dollars, Towards constructing this new facility that will make these flat screen TV panels and the stuff for the iPhones and all this, they're going to put in ten billion dollars. Um, of that, the estimate is that five point seven billion is going to go towards construction and equipment from Wisconsin businesses. That's to me been sort of an undercovered aspect of this story. They're investing ten billion dollars in the infrastructure but you know let's round up 5.7 billion six uh, means you know almost 6 billion dollars is going to go towards construction and equipment from Wisconsin businesses so those businesses presumably they're going to be hiring workers they're going to be buying materials presumably from other Wisconsin businesses so you've got this investment that's there foxconn says initially they're looking at hiring 3000 people But the expectation is that this could grow to 13,000 people in a matter of years. But the initial commitment is is 3,000 people to start off with. But they fully anticipate that this is going to grow. Now, nothing comes without a cost. There is, there are a number of subsidies, corporate welfare if you want to call it, in order to get these businesses here. Um, I'm looking at a story Foxconn deal. This is the Washington Post. Foxconn deal to build massive factory in Wisconsin could cost the state two hundred thirty thousand seven hundred dollars per worker. Now you you might say, my gosh, they're, they're paying two hundred thirty thousand seven hundred dollars per worker. That that's that's nuts. Well, okay, that's that's over a fifteen year period. That that's not that your state is going to be writing a check. For Every worker for $230,000, if you amortize this and figure it out over 15 years, it it comes out to about an on-average subsidy of about $15,000 per worker. The jobs that Foxconn is going to be bringing, on average, $53,000 a year plus benefits. So these are, type, these are the type of, what I would argue, family-sustaining, middle-class jobs that we have been talking about forever. In addition, there is what I call the trickle-up effect. Obviously, you locate a facility like this here. What that means is there's going to be other facilities. You're going to have the suppliers, for example, the people that provide the component parts that Foxconn uses. They're going to be there, so presumably they're going to be locating either in Wisconsin or in the upper Midwest. You can't guarantee that they're all going to go here, but Illinois is a mess right now, just an absolute mess. I can't see any major company making an investment in Illinois at this point in time, given what's going on down there. But regardless, all right, and I also appreciate that some of the people who are going to work at Foxconn are going to, maybe they're going to live in northern Illinois and they're going to travel up. So it's not going to necessarily all be Wisconsin worker people who are Wisconsin residents but it, but it's a lot nevertheless you have a lot of the usual suspects the people who have been screaming for the last seven or eight years where are the good paying jobs where is governor walker on delivering jobs there there's now now those people the fact that we've landed something that has the potential to do this. Now, those same people, I was talking about this yesterday, Gwen Moore saying, well, I, I'm not going to attend the announcement, but I'm, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that this might happen. You have people, you know, in the state legislature, the Walker derangement syndrome people going, well, you know, we think this is corporate welfare. You have people like Chris Larson, the state senator who's been trying to upgrade unsuccessfully for years. Um you would almost again he's an argument for drug testing politicians he's talking about well i I don't see us paying out money to duplicate uh and compete against wisconsin businesses to which you want to say what could you possibly be talking about this this plant doesn't duplicate anything that we're making in wisconsin right now and by the way foxconn is going to put in 10 billion dollars 5.7 of which is going to go to wisconsin businesses to help build all the stuff but nevertheless, there are naysayers. And I acknowledge that when you look at the different benefit packages that they're talking about, uh, um, the full incentive package would mean um, that Foxconn, which made nearly $140 billion in revenue in 2015, could get about $1.5 billion for creating the jobs and another $1.35 billion for building the plant in the state. There's also going to be attendant costs of, of the infrastructure. You know, the communities are going to have to put in the roadways and the water lines and all that. Having said all that, though, especially with as the more and more details of this emerge, I think this is an incredible deal, and I think anybody that is out there trying to throw cold water on this deal should be ashamed of themselves, pure and simple. And the idea that you have some partisan people who don't like Scott Walker, who don't want Scott Walker to have a win, who are essentially rooting against this to succeed because it serves their own political interests, I think they should be ashamed of themselves. This, to me, is a game-changer. I thought that all along, and the more I hear about the details, the more I think this is great for Wisconsin. In particular, it's great for southeastern Wisconsin and for some of the politicians who, again, are putting their partisan political interests ahead of the interests of the people of the state. Shame on them. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we be welcoming Foxconn? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 945. 948 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ Mike on the northwest side Mike good morning Mike Mike all right let's try Vincent on the northwest side Vincent good morning
6: good morning Jeff listen this is a win-win for Wisconsin Wisconsin you know, certainly you can call it corporate welfare, but the fact is, Foxconn was going to go somewhere. Yep. It was going to go to Michigan or, some, or or to a state down south. The fact is, we, we should be welcoming with open arms. And and the people who are complaining about this, what they need to do to uh, uh, win more and everything, and it was, they need to be figuring out how to get individuals in Milwaukee yep. and, and, and 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 Wisconsin prepared right. to, to get these jobs. That's what I need to hear from them. How are we going to get training and and things of that sort so we can get those jobs instead of complaining about com coming? The fact is they're coming. So now, now the, the, right. let's get on board and try to get people employ
0: Well that's exactly right and this is again it's that opportunity Vincent that just doesn't stop with Foxconn I mean I just I mean I, I'm just imagining okay they come they build this giant facility that's around there you're you're going, to, you're going to need grocery stores you're going to need restaurants you're going to need gas stations you're going to need convenience yeah. stores you're probably going to need a housing boom but also you're going to have other companies that are going to want to be close this doesn't just stop at Foxconn on, and they're apparently committing to 5.7 B as in billion dollars that they're going to be paying to Wisconsin companies to build the plants, which means, you know, all, all those trucking, whoever is doing the concrete or whatever, the masonry, they're going to be hiring local workers. And you're right. That's what Gwen Moore should be trying to figure out right away. How can I get the people in my con- my congressional district who are many of whom incredibly impoverished? How yep. can I get them in line to get
6: these jobs? Yep. <laughs> I don't care who gets credit for it. I've always said I don't care who gets credit I want employment in Wisconsin. I want, I want Wisconsin people to have, to, right. to have the Wisconsin jobs. That's all, that's all I'm asking. I don't care who gets credit for it. And, and this is a huge win. And, and, and the fact is, that's what we need to be talked about. It, it, uh, the Foxconn is going to take two years, two to three years to come, come online. Right. It's time is now to, to, to try to get people trained for those jobs. Right. That's what I want to
0: see. No, you're, you're you are exactly right. And then you look at, I mean, one of the reasons, uh, you know, you you look at the the outreach that Foxconn is doing. One of, I know a lot of people were wondering why was the Bucks president, why was Peter Fagan, you know, why was he at this announcement, you know, big time Democrat? What's his connection? Well, apparently Foxconn is exploring buying naming rights to the new downtown arena some or all you know that's they're 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 looking at that um why were they meeting why was the executives meeting with you know people from the the uw system well there's a couple different things first of all again they're exploring you know how can we get the training for people who can work in this, this this technical field in addition i mean one of the stories i saw was that the uh the the CEO of Foxconn has been personally affected by by cancer lost a couple people close to him as a result of cancer so um, you know he 's sitting there talking to you know people at UW the, the cancer research people indicating that all right maybe this is something that they 'd like to you know help underwrite or work with it 's all these things that are out there and you have all these people who are just kind of the naysayers well all right they're only promising you know three thousand jobs you know how do we know that it's going to do this? I mean, for goodness sakes, I understand there's people out there, and the best analogy I can give, that you would give them a $100 bill and they would complain that, gee, now I have to go to the bank and break it into 10s and 20s. Well, all right, this, this is a game changer. And like I was saying yesterday, and Vincent was alluding to, would we really have felt better if we woke up Yesterday morning or this morning, and the stories were we have lost out on Foxconn, and th- this this facility is going to Detroit, Michigan, or something like that. Is that really what people would have wanted to see? Let's talk to Keith in Two Rivers. Keith, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning.
4: Yeah, hey, love love your show. Love Thank you. Listening to you, I'm a longtime listener. Um, you know, I, I I was I was excited that that these jobs were coming to Wisconsin. Lord knows we need some good good paying jobs, right? Um, but here's, here's going to be your niece here that you were just talking about, and I kind of figured you were going to lead into me with this one, is that you look into Pennsylvania. Now, if I'm wrong, please correct me. Back in 2011 or 2012, Foxconn did the same thing out in Pennsylvania, announced that they were going to build a big plant, 50,000 jobs, and it, there's nothing built there. They did the exact same thing that you're doing here in Wisconsin. They, they got everybody jacked up that the jobs were coming. They were coming. They, they, they never materialized. And last night I was reading, uh, I was on Facebook and somebody had posted a thing for it was either Forbes or Money Magazine or something, and they said that that because there is a shortage of workers, that they figure that a lot of them jobs will actually be automated jobs. So they'll still employ a lot of people, right. but not not as much as they say. You're talking two thousand people, a huge number.
0: Yeah, and, you know. and, and, and uh, that's a huge number, and, and the speculation is it could go up to 13000 But your, your big point is you're not sure you necessarily believe this because of what happened in Pennsylvania.
4: Uh, yeah, you know, I would I, I, I would hold my breath, you know. So I just, you know, just searching online, you know, mm-hmm. last night, the only thing I found for Foxconn for jobs was through Indeed, and it was $9.25 an hour and just said production. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I mean, I, mean well, I you know, I don't know. I, 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 I pray that these jobs yep. come because... Lord knows
0: we need them yeah, absolutely. And, and here, I mean, can, here, here's the story in, in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, four years ago, you're right, Keith. Foxconn unveiled a plan. They said, now it, it wasn't anywhere near the scope of this. It was they, they were going to build what we're talking about—a ten million dollar billion. I'm sorry, B as in billion dollar commitment. Um, a couple of years ago, they said they were going to build a thirty million dollar plant in Pennsylvania, um, which which you know, th- this. Plan and commitment, you know, dwarfs that in, in comparison. Um, they had a news conference, and then it, it never came to fruition. So, yes, that, that goes back there. It never came to fruition. Um, and I guess, you know, right now they've signed a memorandum of understanding, and I guess maybe, maybe people deserve – to be skeptical and he can say, OK, well, you know, we're going to believe it when it shovels in the ground. I mean, Governor Walker, when I was talking to him yesterday, said, you know, the plan and the memorandum of understanding is they are breaking ground um, within the year, assuming all these incentives get put into place. I, I guess I, I, it, there's I guess there's always the, the possibility that Foxconn, after these huge announcements, could decide, sorry, never mind, we're not coming. I, I guess there, there's always that. Possibility, it doesn't strike me as likely. When you have this kind of announcement with this kind of fanfare, you sign the memorandums of understanding. They're in the process of once they announce where it's going to be of gathering the land. I guess, I mean, theoretically, tomorrow, you know, Foxconn could could go bankrupt. I guess theoretically, and it, and it doesn't happen. But I'm choosing, I'm choosing not to be this glass is eighty percent or ninety percent empty guy. Um, I think you have to understand that i mean i don't know what happened with the pennsylvania deal but this is much much different and by the way it's also a much different time in the fact that now we've got all this buy america type of stuff and there's incredible pressure on these companies to you know be made in america and that's one of the reasons i guess it's driving so i'm be skeptical all all right I, i guess but don't throw water on this. I mean, to me, it would be a huge loss if they end up backing backing out of this. I don't see that as being likely. None of the people involved in this do, um, except the only people who I think seem to want to root against this are the people who have their own political self-interest at heart. All right, there is another interesting aspect of the Foxconn decision that I don't think is getting enough attention I will tell you about it, and we will discuss coming up in just a couple minutes. It's 9.57. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 10.09. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right, there's another aspect of the Foxconn deal I I want to talk about in just a second. But first, lost in all the hullabaloo about Foxconn, which is really, really great news. There's even more. Great economic development news for southeastern Wisconsin, and this kind of got lost in the uh, again the, the Foxconn story. Amazon, which has been a huge success story, and I understand there's there's people just like there's people that don't like Walmart. There's people who don't like Amazon and think that it's you know um, pro Amazon provides oh well, uh, unfair competition to brick and mortar stores and things like that. And I appreciate that argument, but the truth is. Um, The the reason Amazon has been successful, as successful as it is, is because people are choosing to shop Amazon. I mean, it's just a matter of individual choice. And right now, from a customer perspective, they've built the better mousetrap. And I I understand it poses the challenge to the brick-and-mortar store. If, If you run a bookstore... You know you're limited as to the amount of inventory you can carry. You have to decide what books are you going to have, whatever. So somebody might come to your store and they might look around and they might see, hey, I, I want, I not, not only want the latest book from Jeff Wagner, but I want the three others that he he wrote before that. And they say, well, we don't we don't have those. We can order them. We can get them for you in a week or whatever. Well, in Amazon, you, you don't necessarily have to do that. You say, I I'm going to just go on Amazon. Um, they've got all the books that Wagner's written here. I'm going to just I'll, I'll order them all at once or whatever. It is that can. And then they're delivered to your house the next day or three days later or five days later. Amazon has been a huge success story. And Amazon, which already has its plant in Kenosha, is announcing that they plan to hire thousands in their fulfillment centers across the United States, including in their facility in Kenosha. They're looking to fill more than 50,000 positions across the United States. They're not saying how many are going to be in Kenosha versus how many are going to be in Massachusetts or whatever, but they're going to be having a a job fair on August 2nd at their Kenosha facility as well as at a dozen, nearly a dozen others across the state. They're they're looking for people, and these are full-time jobs, and I understand there's people who, again, want to kind of turn up their nose at this, but, you know, full-time jobs at Amazon in Kenosha pay right now between 12 and a quarter and 13 and a quarter, according to their website. Part-time positions start at 11 an hour. Amazon says that most of the jobs that they're hiring for are going to be full-time jobs. In addition to um, the pay, you know, what they say is that they come with health insurance, disability insurance, um, retirement savings plans and company stock, um, other benefits include up to twenty weeks of paid leave and an employee discount so bottom line of all this is i mean I think Foxconn is going to be great, but I, I, of these fifty thousand jobs nationwide that Amazon is going to be hiring for, how many are going to be in kenosha don 't know but it's certainly i think it would be reasonable to conclude that that there will be there will be some so again it 's more good economic news and I don't know. I'm not prepared to turn up my nose at a job that pays on average around $13 an hour with benefits. Just saying. All right. There is another aspect of the Foxconn story that I I think at least bears a little bit of conversation. The facility that Foxconn will be building, $10 billion facility, be as in billion dollars invested in building this, it's going to take up an enormous amount of land. Now, they haven't announced where precisely they're going to build, but they're, they're apparently all the, in, all the indications are they're looking at, at somewhere along I-94, either northern Kenosha County or um, southern Racine County. You know, they want close access to the freeway. They want access to water which means that they can't go much farther west um, le- if they want access to Lake Michigan water. So they don't know for sure where it's going to be, but it's going to be in, in one of these different areas. All right, most of, most of, not all, but most of the land that they are looking at is apparently farmland. And it, the, I, the Journal Sentinel has this interesting story where they say that um, farmland sales, for example, in Sturdivant and Mount Pleasant, um, generally... It's about $7,100 to $7,700 an acre over the past year. That's what the going rate has been. Now, what's been happening is there's a lot of developers who are apparently in anticipation of this. They are going out and they are trying to snap up the the land because, you know, they – Maybe they're acting on behalf of Foxconn. Maybe they're acting on behalf of themselves, thinking that, you know, if I'm a developer, if I bought this land, I can then turn around and sell it to Foxconn and make a ton of money. And as the Journal Sentinel is reporting, you know, land prices are are skyrocketing. Um, Two people who own land in one of the potential Foxconn development sites have told the Journal Sentinel that they are being offered $50,000 an acre for their properties, which are mainly farmland. Neither is granted the would-be buyer an option to purchase. Um, One of the landowners described feeling pressured and being told the price would only be good for several more days. So um, there is this need to acquire land. There is an old saying in economics. For people who follow the stock market, you always hear the phrase, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. And what that means is if the stock market is on on an uptick, bulls, there's a way, you know, that's a bullish run. There's a way you can make money. If the stock market is, is going down, bears, uh, a bearish market, you can still make money. If you end up being greedy, you can kind of lose it all. I've been thinking about th- th- this land rush, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of the tools that the government has in its toolbox in order to make this happen is the concept of eminent domain. And you probably heard that term a lot. Eminent domain, for those if you don't know, eminent domain is the right of government to seize to take people's private property for public uses. Um, historically it's been things like hey we, we need a road we need to expand the road or we need to build the road we're going to run the road through your property sorry, but we need the, this is this is how we've got to get we've got to get from we've got to get the road from Milwaukee to Sheboygan, and so you know we're going to run we're going to run the interstate through this different land here we 're going to take your land for that purpose maybe it's hey we need to build a school, we need to build a firehouse, whatever. Also, eminent domain under a very, very controversial Supreme Court case a number of years ago has been expanded to mean not just the schools and not just the roads, but a community, a government can use eminent domain to seize property for public good being public economic good. All right, you own a rundown piece of property in an area that's designed for urban renewal. Um, we're, We're planning on leveling seven city blocks and building I don't know, some, some nice shopping center or whatever, Supreme Court says you can do that. You can take people's property. Now, you have to pay them fair market value, but you can take the property. All four seven nine nine is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, there's a lot of people who own land in this area who have the potential to make a bunch of money from this. But at the same time, If people refuse to ultimately sell, sooner or later, I think the government can come in and they will have every legal right to take that property. Now, they're going to have to pay them fair market value, whatever that's defined as. But um, I want to discuss with you the question of if Foxconn decides on a certain area and they've decided this is the land we want, this is the area we want, And there are some individuals who own some land in the giant thousand acre um, proposal or whatever it's going to be who decide they want they don't want to sell. Would you have a problem with eminent domain? In other words, the government coming in and saying, sorry, we we know that this has been your farmland or whatever, but we're going to take this because we need to do this. We're going to pay you fair market value and we can argue about it, but um, you're out of here. Would you support something like that? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Um, I, for one, look. I, I have some issues with eminent domain, but for projects like this, seems to me this is one of those classic cases of the good of the many outweighing the needs of the few. Is eminent domain appropriate? Something like this? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. It's ten eighteen. We discuss next. If you are on the line, please hold on. It's 1021. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Once Foxconn announces a site, you're going to need hundreds of acres, hundreds of acres for for this facility to, to be built on. Um, obviously, Foxconn will be buying up the land wherever they end up choosing it. Most of it is farmland that's out there. The farmland in one of the areas they're looking at right now on average, it sells for around seven to $8,000 an acre. There are people saying that they've been offered up to $50,000 an acre for their property. At some point in time, and we're not at the eminent domain stage, but at some point in time, my guess is once they settle on a site, there will be some perhaps individual property owners who decide, hey, I've got a small farmstead or homestead, whatever, I don't want to sell. And my guess is, that they're not gonna have an option. My guess is if you can't get the property through negotiation, you're gonna have eminent domain. The government's gonna come in, they're gonna say, okay, we're paying you fair market value, but we're taking this property from you, we're paying it for you, we're paying you for it, but you're gonna have to leave. All right, is this a case of the where the good of the many outweighing the preferences of the few? 414-799-1620, Chuck in Manitowoc. Chuck, good morning.
7: Morning. Uh I want to say no, for the main reason is I don't believe that the government should be able to come in and take your land and then give it to a private business.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, they don't, I mean, they do pay you what it's worth.
7: Right. I Yeah, I understand that. Uh, my uncle, my uncle's brother had that up here in Manitowoc County when the nuclear plant went in and when right. I-43 came through. Right. Um, I have no problem for it, for like for highways, stuff like that, because it, it takes away some of the property, but not all of it. But that's for the state or the, or the federal government.
0: Period. Right, but, right. The public. You need. You need a road. You know. You've got to build a road. You got to figure out a way. My example. You got to figure out a way for people to get from Milwaukee to Sheboygan. So you're taking the land to build that road. Um, right.
7: Right. But now some of these people, you know, that land might have been in their family for generations,
0: mm-hmm.
7: and this come and say, "Well, there's a private business coming in. No." We're going to take your land. You know that that's not right.
0: right. Okay. The flip side, though, is that the one person saying, "All right, I, I, let's say you you locate, you figured out, okay, this is we want we want to buy seven hundred acres. I'm just pulling a number out of the air. We want to buy seven hundred acres. We have acquired, <clears throat> I don't know, six hundred and fifty of those acres, and there's a couple people who are in in that plat who refuse to sell. Is it right to say, "All right, we're going to kill this whole project, or we're going to kill the whole location because a couple people are holding it up and they don't want to sell"?
7: No, uh, but they've got other options. Instead of spreading out, can't they build up? Yeah. Put a second floor on, or a third floor. Well, what, what, if what
0: if it's what if it's what if it's land? I'm just I'm just like, What if you've got all right? You're looking at. Let, let's round up. Let's say you're looking at thousand acres. I don't think they're looking at that many, uh, but all right, you, you've got a handful of homes smack dab in the middle of where this complex I, is going to be. Um, you, you think that the the company should should have to like build around it, huh?
7: Well, I, I guess it would depend on you know like how long the, the land has been in the family. I mean, if it's only been one or two years, I could right. maybe see it. Okay. but if it if it's multi generational, right? You know, I don't
0: think that would be right either. Okay, good enough. And that's the eminent domain issue. I mean, and actually that's why the Supreme Court decisions in key in, it's called the Keyo case, was so very, very controversial because again, it was an urban development case. What happened is um, the the government wanted to go in and clear out a, a series of city blocks in a, a downtown urban area. And the idea was they were going to then transfer the, the ownership. They were sort of get rid of a bunch of what they described as slums. Some people say they weren't slums, but they were going to level all these things. And then what they were going to do is they were going to sell the land to a, a private business To put up, you know, uh, put up a plant or whatever to do that urban redevelopment, and the Supreme Court said, "Yeah, eminent domain lets them do that." We continue the conversation next. Um, If if Foxconn decides they want a particular location, now obviously, and what they try to do is you try to avoid eminent domain. You try to you try to buy the land that you need. Everybody's happy, but what if a couple people refuse? Should, should we use it? We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1026. This is Jeff Wagner. 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Mike in Bristol. Mike, good
8: morning. Good morning.
0: Okay, what do you think? Eminent domain, how does this all play out?
8: Um, in private companies coming in, um, they need to find 700 acres um, without going through eminent domain. Um, if one piece of property doesn't work because you cannot get all of the property owners together, they should not be able to eminent domain someone. Um, and, and the what, value-
0: what, and just let me let, let theoretically, let's say you need seven hundred acres, and yep. you six six hundred and eighty five acres people sell. You think the remaining fifteen and it's going to be for something that's, that's clearly going to contribute to the economy, a $10 billion investment. You think that the people who own the, that 20 acres should be able to block that whole process?
8: I, I think there's probably alternatives before you ever get to that point of knowing that you can actually get all 700 acres. Mm-hmm. So,
9: uh-huh.
8: um, And I think the one thing with the eminent domain, at least in my experience, has been that the um, – when you go through that you'd mentioned farmland prices right um there's a huge difference between farmland prices and you know probably what they'll end up paying as you know for property that's commercially um zoned um and and i think even land use plans as well as sewer pack plays into land values and that that's where it becomes difficult within eminent domain we had um uh the big tower lines, electric lines that came through our property in the 60s, and we didn't get hardly anything out of it. And years later, it was a private uh, gas company came and put um, an underlying gas line in. They didn't have eminent domain rights, and so they had to. They obviously paid a lot more than what they did for um the values in eminent domain right and, and my so, understanding
0: is that these developers right now are, are offering enormous amounts of money for you know for it for this land um i think it's going to be curious as to what happens if you get the one or two per people who decide that they don't want to sell and whether that you know scuttles a particular location or not
8: um it will but what you know land use plans and um who owns the property and where it's going to be located also have, I think, a lot to do with it Yeah, um, as well. A lot of these towns and villages have land use plans, and Sewer Pack has, um, you know, smart growth plans. And um, that even, even though you have agriculturally zoned and agri- agriculturally land use planned properties that – all kind of goes to the wayside when you're talking these types of numbers um, yes
0: <laughs> yeah that go absolutely matter of fact we've got some fascinating calls on the line so we're going to continue this for one more segment because this is the other story and, and we're not at this point now in the ideal situation the developer you pick a site the developers are able to reach agreements with the landowners you buy the property and then it doesn't become an issue but there's already some people that, and they haven't announced where the site is. But there's some people in the area who are saying, "Hey, we're feeling pressured to sell, even though they're offering us, uh, you know, by by multiples of whatever more than the land is ostensibly worth. We still don't necessarily want to sell. That that does raise this issue of what happens if you have a couple holdouts. So stick around. We got some great calls on the line. 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, Here's with Carl in Mayville, Texas. Maybe instead of choosing a site first, they should find available land for purchase and then just put the company there. To just take a farmer's land because a big company chooses their site is not fair. Um, That is how anybody else would have to do it. With the billions in incentives they're getting, they um, can move their site to where land is available. Um, You know, that it's actually, If I'm a big fan of Disney World. And one of the things that, you know, Walt Disney, when Dis- when Walt Disney had the vision that he wanted to build Disney World, essentially in swamps, kind of outside of Orlando, it was a, a several-year plan. And And what they did is they set up all sorts of – they didn't want people to know that Disney was coming into the area. What they wanted to do is – and because they figured, hey, if people hear it's Disney, they're automatically going to just jack up their prices. So they set up a, a series of um, companies – different companies that were tasked with buying out different land and they were able to accumulate a lot of land before the word got out that it was Disney. Um, but it was always, it was kind of an interesting story. It was kind of this cloak and dagger thing, you know, who is LLC company, you know, and why are they buying, you know, 2000 acres or whatever. And, you know, but there was different companies. It's interesting. Now, of course, with the whole Foxconn story, you know, the, the cat is out of the bag. People know that this huge company is going to be coming. And so now the question is, you know, what about the space? Tyson, Tyson in Kenosha. Tyson, good morning. Good morning how are you very well thank you my note says that you're you're the owner of the Mars cheese castle there
10: yeah one of them yeah my one family of them is my, my family is
0: I love that there. place I yeah, stop there all the time
10: oh well thank <laughs> you I appreciate that I, I believe I've I've talked to you in person so
0: oh, okay absolutely I love that place absolutely all right well, so thanks. so what are you here okay so this is this is kind of your neck of the woods where all this is going on
10: it is yep and uh, there are two plots that they're looking at from what I understand one is on highway 11 and the other one is right in paris township where i live and the store is located okay um i have went through eminent domain um that was public knowledge we went through uh move because of the highway and the uh the the state relocating us so i've been through that process and i can speak from experience in saying that this is going to be a, a different type of transition and if they eminent domain uh some of these properties that would be kind of slipshot, i think there's uh there's a couple ways that that could happen though uh one bit that i can speak of uh clearly though was uh one of my friends that does live in this area was offered a ridiculously large amount of money for his land now that is on a corridor that has lots of acreage and from what i understand they're going to build a third a 10 to 13 million square foot facility. Right. Um, that would fit 15 plus Lambeau fields, just for perspective, inside, underneath that roof. Right. Uh, they need lots of acreage. Right. And that one spot of acreage is actually, uh, in Paris Township is between Highway, um, K and Highway N. So right. So that acreage there has, uh, a number of houses, and one of those properties, I can say, I'm not going to say my friend's name, but right. he was offered over $4 million for his property. Um, okay,
0: we, we, okay. before before these reports came in, what, what would you have estimated his property to be worth?
10: Oh, probably easily $700,000. Okay, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got a very very nice
9: property.
0: Well, well, sure, okay, but but still, yeah, you
10: know, a lot of outbuildings, um, you know, nice property, very nice, right? But well so maintained, uh, right, right?
0: But but seven hundred thousand to four million. So um, I don't know, Tyson. I got to tell you, if, if I, I love my house too, but if somebody wanted to offer me four million dollars for it, or I, you know, I, I'd say thank you. Can I have the yeah, check right now?
10: That's that's exactly what I said. I told him, man, what are you doing? You have other. I said I'll sell you uh, acreage next to my house. <laughs> hey, and I'll,
0: yeah, hey, thanks, thanks for your call. I got to let you go. So we've got some breaking news here, but um, yeah, look, that, that's I, I hope they're able to work this out. Eminent domain to me is the the last resort, and you'd hope that people could work this all out. Again, time time will tell, and I'll be fascinated to see where the location ultimately is. 45, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is that time of the year. And a number of people are asking about this. Yes, it is back. Cream puff a This year, we're giving the new kids on the block, Scafidi and Bill Statt, the chance to hook you up. Join the guys Wednesday morning, beginning at 6 a.m. in State Fair's North Lot. That's the parking lot near the Pettit Center that uh, runs well just to the south side of the freeway there um, where they'll be handing out a six pack of cream puffs to the first 300 cars that enter it's 300 cars this year it's the 2017 cream puff a palooza bright and early wednesday morning starting at six o'clock with the wisconsin state fair and 620 wtmj i love that promotion it is if you're a regular listener you know i did that for gosh five or six years i was the one that was out there it was just so cool you would pull up in the yeah, I'd, I'd get there about 5.15, and you'd pull up, and you'd see all sorts of cars that were lined up. It was very cool. Um, I'm not doing it this year because um, I have a radio show to do. So, And I thought it was probably a little bit of a challenge um, you know, to try to prepare for the show, get out there at 5.30 in the morning, and then get back to do the 8.30 show. But Scafidi and Bill Stett will do a great job. And, yes, Cream puff of palooza back. First 300 cars that enter get a six-pack of Cream Puffs. I also used, used to love... I get, when I get the chance to talk to the people who are in line, just um, just the stories. What are you going to do with the cream puffs? Some people are going to work. Some people are taking them home. Some people are going to eat them in the parking lot. Just It's very, very cool, and it is the excitement of the State Fair. Um, I think this year uh, we will have as much live coverage from the State Fair as we have had. Maybe forever. Um, my show is going to originate from the fair, starting at eight thirty. And uh, BD is producing the show today, and always we're going to uh, we always it's, I'm, I'm always going to be looking for the first beer of the morning. You know my my guess is my guess is before I get on the air, I will have seen the first beer of the morning. But we'll we'll be checking that out. Scafidi and Bill Stat will be broadcasting live from the fair. John McCure will be out there. Lots of Sports Central as well. So uh, the State Fair kicks off. Uh, well it kicks off next Thursday so um, cream puffalooza palooza is the day before looking forward to that and if you are coming out to the state fair we broadcast from our broadcast the glass broadcast facility that we call the fishbowl be sure to stop off and and say hi I make a point of trying to come out during the breaks and meet as many potential as many listeners as I possibly can it's just one of the great chances that we get out on the road to do that looking forward to it so uh, state fair should be a lot of fun Fun. All right, I, I have no problem with what happened yesterday, except to say, do you really think anything is going to be any different thirty days from now? Um, Ed Flynn and I, I, I just I, I try to say this without any sort of acrimony, but I think it's time for Ed Flynn to go as the chief of police in Milwaukee. I and and part of it is just urban police chiefs tend to have a relatively short shelf life, and, and I think Flynn has. I think his shelf life has expired. Um, you know, they come in with different ideas and they try their ideas and they don't work. And then, um, in a case of a guy like Ed Flynn, who is you now some people would describe him as arrogant. I would just say that he um, he thinks he thinks it's his way and his way only. And despite all sorts of evidence to the contrary, you, you just can't convince him to, to back off on things. And and as a result, over the last few years, he started to say more and more just just dumb things um including gee i think we're looking at violent crime by virtue of um we're looking at violent crime is increasing by virtue of concealed carry permit holders and silly stuff like that in any event what um happened is flynn and we've talked about this before has this um pursuit policy which really ties the hands of the milwaukee police and it, it isn't working uh, the Common Council recognizes it, is it isn't working. Pretty much everybody recognizes that this thing is not working. And so the Fire and Police Commission that is his boss gives him a directive, change it. Well, Flynn doesn't like to be told that he's wrong, and he's kind of dug in his heels, and um, he was told, change it, or else there's going to be disciplinary action taken against you. Flynn's response, instead of changing it, is to hire a lawyer to fight any sort of job action. Well, okay, good good luck with that. I mean, in any other business, if your bosses tell you to do something, and you decide not to do it, there's going to be consequences. If my management says, Jeff, at 10.50 every morning, we want you to play a polka song. And I say, well, that's dumb. I don't want to play a polka song. That doesn't matter if they tell me to do it and I don't do it. I'm going to be in trouble. Well, so Flynn, he's kind of dug in his heels. He asked for a 30-day extension within which to comply, to talk to the city attorney, to do other stuff. And the Fire and Police Commission said, yes, we'll we'll give it to you. That's fine. My guess is, and the mayor, I'm told, is trying to sort of broker some sort of resolution behind this. But my, my guess is that Over the next 30 days, Flynn, will he change his policy? Will he decide that maybe he's not absolutely correct? I I doubt it, but um, I guess time will tell. I have no problem with the Fire and Police Commission giving him a delay Another thirty days isn't going to make too much difference except for the fact that you're going to have another four hundred people bad four hundred bad guys driving recklessly fleeing from the police and waving their hands and except uh, not their whole hands, just one finger at the Milwaukee cops. but it's just going to be another month till hopefully hopefully Flynn comes to his senses I'm not holding my breath though I think in general um, probably way past time for Ed Flynn to leave. It's 10.55, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. It's a battle for the top spot in the National League Central this weekend as the Cubs come calling to Miller Park. Um, Our coverage of Game 1 begins at 6.35 tonight, sponsored by your Milwaukee Honda dealers. Also, this weekend, keep in mind, we've been running the reports. uh, Bud Selig. Um, man who is responsible for bringing baseball back to Wisconsin in 1970 to Milwaukee in particular, um, he's going into the Hall of Fame. Um, and I, I've I've actually been fascinated. Gene Miller did a great interview that's up on the podcast page with Bud. He can be over the years if you interview Bud Selig, he can be sometimes a difficult kind of interview. But it's actually it's a fascinating interview. He's more I think open than you sometimes. Sometimes that he has been over the years and talking about different things. And it's fascinating. And I I, I think, uh, again, there were controversial things that happened during the tenure of Bud Selig. But here's a guy that clearly loves baseball and clearly has done a lot for the game of baseball and actually and also for Milwaukee in particular. So I think it's uh, I think it is very, very well deserved. Hey, here's a new note. If you are planning to fly this summer And it's going to be another one of these things where you're going to just, I know, going to roll your eyes, and so really, but it's it's the nature of what we do. Now, flying... To the extent I've said this before, there was any sort of cachet involved in it in the past. That's not true now. I mean, it's it's flying is difficult. You got to wait in line. You know, every the uh, planes are uh, crowded. There's fewer flights typically that are there. You got to wait in the long security lines. Well, TSA is announcing new rules which say that electronic devices larger than a cell phone will now have to go in separate bins when you go through an airport screening. So, in other words, um, you know your cell phone. You know, you you can leave in your briefcase or whatever. But for not just laptops, but now tablets and other things, um, you're going to have to take them out. You're going to have to put them in a separate bin. Um, The reason TSA is doing this is because apparently um, more people are packing. Now that more and more airlines have started to charge um, fees to ship bags, more and more people have begun packing more stuff in carry-on bags as a result it's become more difficult for TSA to get a clear look at the contents of a bag and so what they're trying to do is focus on large electronic devices because they're concerned the terrorists might use devices like laptops and tablets in particular to conceal explosives so now what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to uh, again take the electronic devices anything bigger than a cell phone you're going to have to take it out of your bag you're going to have to put it in the separate bin that 's always been the case for laptops, but not for tablets and things like that so um, uh, it 's going to be a bit of an annoyance there 's no question e readers handheld game consoles that that 's all going to apply to this and it 's going to be a bit of an annoyance. You can of course get around this if you 've you know signed up for their their pre screening type of thing if you 're enrolled in the TSA pre check program. And anybody that travels a lot, I think should probably probably do that. But if you're enrolled in that program, you're okay. but otherwise, just be prepared. It's another inconvenience, but TSA is doing it because they feel it's necessary to keep us safe. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, uh, why are why are so many criminals still out on the streets after violating their parole or their extended supervision? And NFL players have brain damage? All right, where do we go with that? Stick around. It's 1059. It's 1108. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Fox 6 had an interesting report the other night, and and this is something that a number of us have been talking about for quite a while. The fact that you have part of the problem with the revolving door criminal court system is that you have judges who don't send people to prison in the first place. And then if they send him to prison, they don't send him to prison long enough And then what happens is they get released, and they do things, and then they don't go back to prison. You also see this for people violating the terms of their probation. Now, there's two types. of First of all, there's probation. In other words, you you don't go to prison. You are put on probation. Then there's what's called extended supervision, which is a fancy word for parole. You've served time, but you're released before the end of your sentence. Let me just read it. This is a portion of the story that they aired on Fox 6 the other night. Rules are rules, but criminals who break them don't always pay the price, even when they break them over and over again. The Fox 6 investigators found more than two-thirds of offenders accused of violating their probation or state supervision do not go to prison. One of the first things they tell criminals on probation or extended supervision, again, the equivalent of parole, is you need to follow the rules. Don't drink. Don't do drugs show up for your appointments don't get arrested again all right that that makes a lot of sense A Fox 6 investigation found violent criminals breaking the rules again and again without facing revocation, and sometimes innocent people are the ones who get violated, people like Daniel Clark. He said what happened to him last summer was the most terrifying thing he's ever experienced. Um, He held the gun to my head and said, if you blanking move, you're dead. It was August of 2016, and Clark was walking to his girlfriend's house just south of Brady Street on Milwaukee's Lower East Side. Two men approached Clark from behind and asked if he knew of any good bars in the area. He gave them a couple suggestions. The men pulled guns and pointed them directly at Clark, one in front, one behind. He said they marched him to a nearby driveway behind a building, ordered him to lie face down on the ground. They stripped him of his wallet and keys and stole his car. After waiting several minutes in terror, guy finally stood up, sprinted through an alley to his girlfriend's house, um, called the police. I was shaking. I was upset. I was nervous. I was scared. 25-year-old Byron Thomas is one of the men accused of robbing Clark in the midst of a weekend crime spree that started when thomas's probation agent let him out of jail obviously hindsight is 2020 said the regional chief of the department of corrections his office supervises more than 14,000 offenders in Milwaukee many are serving probation as part of a plea bargain or their unextended release the idea is to keep the prison population down while still keeping the public safe by monitoring offenders and guiding them to more productive behavior we have the obligation to public to make sure they're not victimized in the future by those under our care the guy says but at the same time the laws here in wisconsin direct us to provide opportunities for people to change okay nobody objects to that but here's the deal after serving 3 years in prison for a previous armed robbery thomas was released in march of 2016 now this crime that he's accused of committing occurred in august of 2016 it wasn't long before he started breaking the rules Drinking, smoking pot, skipping appointments. He was placed on maximum supervision, which meant he had to report to his agent more often than others, once every two weeks. Yeah, that's maximum supervision. You've got this released armed armed robber who's not showing up. He's drinking. He's smoking pot. Oh, we're going to look at him every two weeks. Instead, he stopped showing up completely and was eventually declared an absconder. He was gone for 31 days, so a little bit more than a month. We didn't get a chance to have our face-to-face contact with him. After he was caught, he sat for eight days in the Milwaukee Secure detention Facility before he was released again. Really, this is what the boss says. Really, what we're looking at is somebody who missed a few appointments with their agent. No, you're looking at an armed robber who is supposed to be in prison. The only reason he is not in prison is he's been released with the idea that he is going to be monitored and follow the rules, and he refuses to follow the rules. Thomas was released on a Friday, told to report to his agent Monday morning at 9 a.m. Criminal complaint accuses Thomas of spending the weekend robbing five different people, including uh, Clark, at gunpoint until he's ultimately Arrested. The guy who's the victim says, obviously, there are violent offenders that we're not watching as closely as we should be. Um, Fox 6 says um, they looked at 1,000 pages of supervision records from a single week in August of 2016. In that week, Milwaukee agents investigated 179 offenders for violations and recommended 31% have their supervision revoked. 69% remained on supervision. So, in other words, you have these people who are already told, you're out, this is your chance, you've got to comply with the rules. They're not, and the vast majority of them don't get revoked. Of the 103 offenders on maximum or enhanced supervision, which is kind of, I guess, like double secret probation, who were accused of violating probation... Only 35% were recommended from revocation. So these are the people who presumably have screwed up before. So they've been released on supervision. They've been released on parole, probation, whatever. They have presumably screwed up. So now they're on the double secret probation, the enhanced surveillance. And of those who violated, only 35%, 3.5 out of 10, are recommended for revocation even some who committed several violations while under maximum scrutiny. And the story goes on and on. 414 That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, there, there's no question the court system is screwed up in general. And I understand, for example, when Ed Flynn talks about his pursuit policy, one of the things he always says is, okay, we chase them, even if we chase them and catch them, the court system just turns them loose, they're back out on the street again, so, you know, why? essentially, why bother? Why risk officers' lives? Why put people in danger? Let's just drive. let them drive off, because even if we catch them, nothing's going to happen to them. And there is a, a level of validity to that, I concede. That doesn't mean, in my opinion, that you just let the bad guys drive off. But here, what we're finding is, even once you catch them, Even once they go through the court system, even once they're told, we're going to give you one more chance, or you're going to get out of jail early, you're going to get out of prison early, Um, what, what they're finding is when they screw up, even when they screw up repeatedly, when they refuse to follow the rules, they don't get revoked. 414-799-1620. Four one four seven nine is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, to me, is, again, another one of these outrageous aspects of, of the system that even after you have been caught, even after you have gone through all this, and I appreciate, you know, you want to help people transition back in the community. I understand that jail space is rare, but if... If you give somebody the break of a lifetime, hey, you're serving three years for armed robbery. You've served those three years, so here we're going to release you out into the community. Um, you know, you're on extended supervision for another year and a half, but you, you got to come in every two weeks. That's their that's their idea of high level monitoring. You got to come in every two weeks, and the people don't come in every two weeks, or they fail their drug tests, or whatever. They should be back in prison. It's that simple. Now, maybe you give somebody one more chance. You say, look, you missed this appointment. You know, maybe people have excuses. I understand stuff happens. But that is not what is going on in the state of Wisconsin with the Department of Corrections. You have people who are violating their probation or their parole, extended supervision, time after time after time, and nothing happens to them. This, to me, is just as much of a failure. It's just as much of a failure as some of the ridiculous sentences or charging decisions that come out in the first place. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accudent Mortgage Talk and Text line. And by the way, this is not something that you need. You need new laws for. That this is just something that you need. Again, a sea change in attitude, saying. If you're violating your parole, your extended supervision, or you're violating your probation, we're not going to give you third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances. We're sending you back to the host or we're sending you to prison. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1117. This is Jeff Wagner. 1120, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This Fox 6 report is amazing. Erica Lovejoy is another armed robbery convict who broke the rules over and over again, arrested four separate times during her supervision period without facing revocation. At one point, Lovejoy stopped showing up for appointments for months. For months. She left Milwaukee without permission, auditioned to the strip club in Portage. While there, she allegedly convinced a cognitively disabled man that they were boyfriend and girlfriend. According to the Portage police report, she convinced the man to loan her money in his car and then came back to Milwaukee and failed to return either the money or the car. Still, her supervision was not revoked. And the guy that runs this department defends this. Well, it's important to note that no criminal charges resulted from that conduct. Okay, she, she was arrested four separate times during her supervision. She disappeared for months. She's an armed robbery convict on extended supervision. And you don't think that maybe these violations are important? This, it is an absolute embarrassment. Here's the bottom line. Governor Walker should just clean house. Now, I understand um, there is... Some effort that's around there. Um, Joe San Filippo and Leo Vukmir or Leo Vukmir are looking at you know passing a law which would require that uh, the department recommend revocation in every case where an offender is charged with a new crime while on supervision. But it really shouldn't come to that. I mean, seriously, you let people for, who are out on the streets for serious crimes continue to violate the conditions of their release and you don't do anything. My goodness. Catherine in Brookfield. Catherine, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
3: Yes. um, I believe uh, the biggest problem I see is that we are not punishing the people who have petty crime or petty theft early. Uh, Young people may do things like that, and we think, oh, they're so young, but if we completely help. Them by stopping them from doing it, punishing yeah. them. They may not end up thinking everything is going to be forgiven. I think basically, as we raise our children, we try to teach them not to do things, and we don't just let them off. We yeah. punish them when they don't do anything. Yeah, it's That's I mean, what right. we have to do. We cannot just let people start doing little things. I, even I, right, it's They're the whole them right off immediately stop
0: it. Right now, Catherine, thanks. For, I mean, it, you're, you're talking about the broken windows thing, and I, I, I agree with that. But this is even the larger point. It's when people have been caught. People have been convicted. People have been given that second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance. We're going to put you on probation or you've served some time. We're going to let you out in the community. And I understand these noble goals, right? You want to help people transition back into the community. I don't have a problem with that. But what's the purpose of, of putting people on probation and telling them, stay off of drugs, don't commit crimes, show up for appointments, what's the purpose of doing that if, when they fail to do it, and they fail to do it repeatedly, and I want to be real clear here, I'm not saying just because somebody has an appointment for 3 o'clock and their car breaks down or whatever and they can't get to it, you automatically revoke them. I'm not arguing that. But that's not what's going on here. I mean, in the case of this woman, you know, she's, she's out on extended supervision for armed robbery, and she just stops showing up. She disappears for months, and they don't do anything. She's arrested four times, and they don't do anything. What's the matter with these people? The Department of Corrections reports that there were about 5,500 offenders last year who were charged with new crimes... While they're out on supervision, these aren't people who, you know, you get a report that maybe they did something. These are people who have actually been charged but were not recommended for revocation by agents. So these are people who are out. They've been given the break of a lifetime, and at least somebody has found there is probable cause to believe that they have committed another crime. I mean, seriously? And this is something that people are going to end up defending. And, again, these community corrections agents, I understand that there's some point in time you just want to issue a warning. All right, you missed your appointment, couldn't get on the bus, whatever, fine. You know, don't let it happen again. I, I understand. And sometimes that that is appropriate. But, you know, for these people, particularly the people who have been given the break of a lifetime by being released on probation or, um, you know, being out, Um, What you have to do is you have to just say, all right, enough is enough. We're not going to endanger public safety. Um, John in Fox Lake. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
11: Hello. I was just calling regarding what you were talking about. Right. I'm a former corrections employee. I've worked in a prison for 30-some years. And I agree with you that, you know, these guys should be all revoked and sent back to prison. I understand that. I totally agree with you. The problem is the prisons are so full, mm-hmm. we can't keep up with what's coming in from the courts now. Right. If you go to Dodge, Dodge uh, Correctional Institution, the one where they all come into, right. they're overflowing. I mean, they're overflowing at the beams and stuff where I worked at. They're all double-celled, stuff like that.
9: Mm-hmm.
11: I mean, I agree with you. They, when they right. revoke, they get a chance they should go. But, you know, right. the big picture is we don't have room for them.
0: Well and that's and I'm glad you called John because this is something and and I appreciate the prison overcrowding issue this is one area where I would be willing to bet that 80% of the population would say we want to be safe and we will support prison building if it's going to get dangerous people off the street.
11: Well I would support that too yeah. the only the only other problem with that is and I'm not trying to cause other issues here and stuff we're having a little bit of a hard time just keeping enough people employed with the prison With,
0: with the guards, no, right, no, and I and I think that that's a fair point as well. No, thanks, and I, I appreciate that. And I understand. Believe me, you couldn't pay me enough money to be a to be a guard in a prison, so I, I understand that's tough. And like, in, in fairness, the Department of Corrections estimates um, that if you okay, there was fifty five hundred offenders who were charged with new crimes last year who weren't revoked. Um, So they estimate that, okay, 4,500 inmates, that would cost about $150 million a year. Yes, that is a cost. But at the same time, what is the cost of letting people out? What is the cost of this man being put down at gunpoint with a gun to the back of his head and, and being robbed? What is the cost of letting criminals out on the street and if you need to build more prisons this is one area you want to talk about infrastructure improvements can i see a show of hands i'm willing to bet that about 80 percent of the people out there would say yes if it comes to getting dangerous repeat offenders off the streets we're all in favor of building more prisons and doing what it takes to hire guards just saying it's 11:27. we've got the week in review coming up in a couple minutes stick around 35 Jeff Wagner, 620. WTMJ. Okay, it is that time of the week. I am the thorn between the two roses. We call it the weekend review. Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Good Hello. morning. Hello. And Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Good morning. All right. Now we we need to make a couple announcements. First of all, we are live streaming this on Facebook. So if you want to see radio, <laughs> just tune in. <laughs> Being it's <A>. Facebook.com. <laughs> well, you guys always dress up so well oh, for this, no. and I kind of dressed like a guy who works in radio um it's facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ in addition um next week of course I will be broadcasting my show from the Wisconsin State Fair I think every, every day I think I'm scheduled to be out there every day of the fair from eight thirty to noon but um we're going to do the weekend review live from the State Fair so come on out the ladies have generously agreed to come on out to the State Fair so you can How see fun. us all sit in the fishbowl yeah. huh
2: come visit us
0: Come visit you absolutely. That that's what we say. Come visit. All right. It is the week in review. Let's get started. Uh, a really, an interesting week. The the big story of the week, of the month, of the year, maybe of the decade, is the announcement yesterday that Foxconn is going to be coming to southeastern Wisconsin. Three thousand jobs initially, maybe up to thirteen thousand. Um, an investment of ten billion dollars in building the infrastructure. About $6 billion or so, which will go to Wisconsin businesses. Uh, Susie Falk, is this a game changer? How big a deal is this?
2: This is a huge deal. You know, I, I actually like the term fox I mean, that's all we're talking about With- lately. Foxconsin, get it? Foxconsin. I coined it here. (laughs) Anyhow, um, you know, this is a game changer. Um, You know, I know people are worried about the types of jobs and labor practices and all that, but we have labor laws in place. Everybody will have a cool head. Um, It's not just the the possibly thirteen thousand jobs we're talking about here. We're talking about ten thousand construction jobs. We're talking about suppliers possibly relocating to southeastern Wisconsin. The whole corridor of of that ninety-four area is just going to change. It's It'll look different. Um, I don't, you know, t- thirteen thousand employees. They talk about building a campus. You know, people right. are going to have to have housing. They're going to want to live there. Stores are going to pop up. It's going to be a, a city uh, in and of itself, it's, and it's bigger th- than Shorewood, isn't that it, what they said? It, it, that's right. yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. So close to the freeway too. This is huge. So. Tr-
0: Tracy Johnson. I mean, some of the naysayers have been out mm-hmm. there saying, "Okay, this is corporate welfare. Um, why should we be making these kind of investments?" Um, how do you respond?
12: Well, I mean, this is certainly probably the biggest corporate incentive package that that we've ever seen. I think the one of the biggest deals this year in the country. Um, so, you know, I think that, that this has to play itself out. Obviously, we have to get this package approved through the state legislature. So, I think there are many more battles to be fought and won and, and negotiated. But there's
0: not going to be too many obstacles. My sense is that this. Mm-hmm. My sense is the legislature, yes. at least the majority in the legislature is pretty much on board for this
12: i i I mean i i think so i I, but i but i do think they do have a little bit of um you know they talk about what's happened in the past and i i -hmm. i do sense and and we were at the the event last night i sense that there's a genuine understanding of of how this is going to work and how this is going to work through people have been pulling together numbers for 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 some time now the timeline's been laid out um You know, I think there are still many factors that will play into what actually happens. But I think everybody's, you know, optimistic. The fact that our state is a right-to-work state, the fact that we have um, the legislators who are all pulling in the same direction, we've got so many factors working in our favor that it, it... I just feel like everybody's moving in the same direction. I'm very optimistic about it.
2: Well, it's not like the $3 billion incentive package is just going to be a a check written out the first day. I mean, you know, the company has to sort of agree to a certain number of jobs every year, and they they will get what they deserve. And so I think it seems like a fair memorandum of understanding. I haven't read the fine print, but, you know, rational heads will prevail. We're not going to go into something that's that's not well thought out. Well, and
12: what I think is very interesting is just all the... Just the, the the many people who've been who have been involved in this and who will continue to be involved in this, right. and just the the. the sh- I want to say a shot in the arm, Mm -hmm. but really kind of, there's got to be a lot of scrambling in terms of how are we going to find all these people? That's where my concern would be.
0: Well, but I I also think that's the exciting challenge Mm -hmm. as well. I mean, that's why, I mean, I think it was interesting because when I was talking to the governor yesterday, I mean, you know, he was saying that, you know, there's been all these meetings that have been going on. You're you're trying to bring in people at the UW system. You're trying to bring in, you know, people at the technical colleges Mm -hmm. because you, you have, you're going to have this demand for folks, and where are we going to be getting that?
12: Well, then ship is shipping them in. You know, what does this look like? And, and like you said, Susie, over time. I mean, this isn't going to happen tomorrow. And granted, I've heard they're, 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 the timelines for breaking sure. ground are kind of all over the place. But, I mean, this is something that will be gradual. I think, uh, you know, our strong infrastructure has a lot to do with how we're going to get people from one place to another.
2: Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be a huge importer of jobs, which is something that we yeah. really want I, the here. The schools will fall in line. You know, the technical schools, they're sure. smart. They're nimble. They'll hmm. sh- shift. We're going to have to see, I think, high schools getting on board and, you know, offering some some more of the IT programs that the that Foxconn's going to demand our, our kids to understand. Um, there's still, you know, unemployment in Racine. I know I grew up in Racine. We talked about it the other day on the show. Racine is kind of a sad place. It's coming along, but they could really use this little sh- injection.
0: Well, I think one of the the other exciting things is what I'm calling the trickle-up effect. It, it's not, and Susie, you were alluding to this earlier, it's not just Foxconn. It's right. presumably um, you're going to have, if this is going to be this large facility, you're going to have other component suppliers mm-hmm. that are going to want to locate mm-hmm. close to to have access. And then, of course, you're, you're going to I mean, they're, they're talking about a 10 billion dollar commitment, almost six billion dollars, which is going to go to Wisconsin businesses con- to construct the facility. I yeah. mean,
12: and the property I, taxes yeah. that this will will, will yeah kick right, off. I mean right. this is a this is a long term. If we don't if we look at this beyond 20 years. I mean it Skywalker Walker uh, alluded to this. He talked about, you know, a, a generation and what this can do to to Wisconsin and to the mm-hmm. region. Mm-hmm. And and think about what it's doing to like Amazon and Uline who mm-hmm. are thinking about, you know,
0: well, I mean Amazon is already, I mean Amazon is having a job fair. I mean they have sure. already announced that they're looking to hire 50,000 right. people at their various plants across the country and they're having a job fair sometime next Wednesday, I think it is. Yeah. You know, some of that'll be in Kenosha. Okay. So look into your into the crystal ball. Mm-hmm. Um when I was talking to the governor yesterday, he said that they hope to be breaking ground within the year. Is that realistic, Susie?
2: Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, Yes.
12: Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Within tw- within 12 months, I would say yes. By the end of the year? No,
0: within the year. That's what, that's what I understood you to say. Within oh, within 12 months. I would months. say
12: 12 months. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. You've got you to right. get this Next package spring. passed. I think there's still some things right. that, that need to be figured out. But it, I think well, but every, all... all yeah, that's going
0: to be the tricky part. I was talking some about million. that earlier. The land. Right.
12: Yes. Yeah. The, the, the 50, land. $50,000 an acre? I would sell the farm. Well, but <laughs> 20 million square foot facility is what they're talking about building you can't even see that far that's like six miles around it's crazy so it's uh but
0: it's a great i mean i just i just think it's a great opportunity i understand i i understand that sometimes politics plays into this but some of the people who were trying to throw buckets of cold water on this a day or two ago it was kind of like aren't oh, they yeah. all
12: trying to get back on the bus now well <laughs> I, you would think so you
0: would think so my, my, my argument was hey if we woke up on thursday morning and the headline on television or in the newspapers or on radio was detroit gets this plant mm-hmm. i mean w- was that what we really would have wanted and i think not okay we're gonna take a quick break when we come back is it time for ed flynn to go What is going on in the Trump administration and much more? Stick around. It's the Week in Review. I'm Jeff Wagner. I'm joined by Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson. It's
9: 1143.
0: It's 1146. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's the Week in Review. We are live streaming this Facebook Live. Joined us always by Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson, who are going to come out and join me at State Fair next week. So come on by and, and watch the broadcast. All right. Topic number two. What is going on in in Washington? It's one story after another. The dominant story this week has been uh, President Trump... Allowing one of his closest and earliest supporters, Jeff Sessions, to twist in the wind by gratuitously, you know, saying about how he's disappointed him in, in him, beleaguered Attorney General. Last night, um, it, it comes out that the new Communications Director, Anthony Scaramucci, decides to call up a reporter from the New York Times, New York uh, New Yorker magazine, go on an obscenity-laden tirade about how he's going to fire everybody and how he's going to. Uh, get rid of Reince Priebus, and he, he said something about Steve Bannon. And I, I, I've been, all morning I've been trying to figure out how to describe what he said on the radio. See, normally, ladies, I mean, somebody will say stuff that you can't repeat on the radio, but I'm able to at least figure out how to phrase it so you can say it. It's just, it, it's there's there's something about these people that are obsessed with this about the size of a particular part of the male anatomy. And I'll just leave it at that. All right, Tracy Johnson, what's going on? <laughs>
12: oh man
0: i don't know how else to say it i mean it's just it's, it's all this conversation about that it,
12: it is just so interesting wow did you hear there was like a nuclear like yeah, weapon? Did, yeah. <laughs> so, um no but it's as far as the the scaramucci thing is it's interesting to listen to other people having talked about it on the front end and to say um you know the reason that john spicer was let go and the fact that they needed somebody who was a little more bombastic like um you know like scare scaramucci and they were People are saying that that's how, like, Trump acts and that he more can relate to to Donald Trump. I I think we all realize that's just that's just the world that we live in. It's unfortunate. um, But is it
0: counterproductive? I mean, I guess that I mean, I'm reading this story, these stories that are out there now, and I'm thinking, okay. Nationally and internationally, are we laughingstocks that this stuff is going on?
12: I don't think so. I I, I don't think that we're well, a laughingstock beyond the fact that you know we're we're talking about it here. I, I truly believe that if you had somebody who was very sophisticated and articulate in that position, we would still be in the same place we are with healthcare. We would still be in the same place that we're in with all of the policy. I I actually don't think it makes a difference. I think it what it well, is is it's keeping the I think it's keeping the the media in. Business. It's keeping them active. It's no, keeping them uh, you the know, on pins and needles. Uh, let's talk about they Jeff
2: Sessions for a minute. He, he is absolutely sharing Donald Trump's um, aspirations in terms of immigration policy and whatnot. He's been we, a loyal and, soldier okay, up yes, and down right. the line. And they're no talking about, about it. immigration today, both Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions. It's too bad they can't be in the same room talking about immigration. You know, I mean, if anybody's going to carry out Donald Trump's policies, forget Russia for a minute. It's Jeff Sessions. And he has and been. And so for him to turn on his friend, one of the first supporters of his, his, you know, candidacy is absolutely ridiculous. And if you look at why Jeff Sessions, you know, recused himself, it's for all the absolute right reasons. But right, he
0: recused because they're investigating the campaign. Right. He was an integral part right. of the yeah. campaign. So, okay,
2: so, so what, Donald do you think Trump, is ma- is? this is here's the thing, here's the it's problem. About loyalty. Distraction, distraction, distraction. He, you know, mm-hmm. it. it I've heard people say it's conspiracy theory. Donald Trump's intending to do this, so we really don't know what, what he's working on, you know, to create these, like, issues so that media people like us are all talking about it. That's not true. It's absolutely counterproductive. He's such an egomaniac that he he's he's having this high school fight with Jeff Sessions on Twitter, which is absolutely appalling. Well, a one, stock it's, of all the media. It's a one-way fight. I not mean, just the Attorney General, General right. isn't fighting well, back. Not the not Attorney General a boy. That's right. Not just the liberal media is all over this, okay? We've got Fox. Um, well, Carlson because, because, is saying, well, stop well, Jeff he's Sessions
0: being an idiot is is very he's he, he's a leader. He's been a leader in the conservative movement for twenty years, and so right. the Senate's getting up. Okay, for, for the Jeff, Jeff Sessions things, mm-hmm. Tracy. What's see what what is the where what is the end game? What do you if you're the president? What do you get by just ripping on one of your closest cabinet members day after day? Well,
12: uh, what I see going on is this whole conversation and this whole play with loyalty, and that goes to the, the Scaramucci relationship as well and I think uh, you know Trump probably felt like okay this guy is not being loyal he reacted and then he can't lose and so he's he's Playing this out. And I, I actually think, you know, Jeff Sessions is going to be done at some point very soon here. And, you know, we're going to get another person yep. and then we're going to yep. do and this Hitler, all over Hitler again. Hitler
2: demanded loyalty too with his Nazis, right? Well, and When I they think would, when they, oh, no, I'm not running for political office. But, <laughs> I, I'm going to say it. I think it's absolutely dictatorial the way he is. As our president, well, and threatening I, if, people that aren't loyal, I were to him, despite well, them being correct.
0: I mean, if I were Jeff Sessions, I would have quit. I mean, I would have. I mean I, I would I mean, I, I would have quit. And then, of course, that you start to wonder what the end game is, because I understand you want to talk about conspiracy theorists. Some people, some people are saying Sessions quits or is fired or whatever. Trump gets to appoint a new attorney general who doesn't have this conflict with the campaign, that person comes in, fires the special counsel, and then essentially Ooh. does away with the, <laughs> no, that's that's the theory. And, and of course, and, and that in a weird sort of way does kind of make some sense that that could play out then you say, OK, well, how do you get a guy confirmed to be the attorney general? Because obviously the first question is going to be, if you're an attorney general, will you fire the special counsel? And if you say you're going to do that, you're never going to get confirmed. Well, Trump uses a recess appointment, which allows you to put somebody uh, in for 18 but I've, months. But I've heard
2: that, that that's not going to happen. Well, They'll because the Senate, out a way the Senate won't, the recess, right, the Senate won't go out of recess, a recess. But,
0: which OK, which then makes it even more bizarre that you're just making people twist in the wind. I. You know, if 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 Scaramucci is still the director of communications by five o'clock this afternoon, that tells me that what he did, he did with the blessing of the president. And if I'm if I'm Rice Priebus or any of these other guys, I think my attitude is life is too short. I don't need this. I'm too unquiet. That's just think
12: about the books that they're all going to write, though, and the movies that are going to be made.
0: (laughs) Uh, oh, you think can't. about Saturday Night Live. <gasps> can you imagine after this latest stuff, Lauren Michaels must be just jumping up and down <laughs> saying, hey, I don't want to wait. You, I, yeah, oh, exactly. going to play? Uh, that's <laughs> it. I, I don't want to wait six weeks to have a new show. Bring it back. Okay, we've we've got, um, what can you say? It's just you can't make this kind of stuff up. I, and all of which, by the way, is a distraction to, you know, what we need to be doing is figuring out health care and tax reform and national security and all that type of stuff. All right, we have our Right Stuff Awards coming up. Stick around. It's 1153. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. It's the week. Weekend Review. Eleven fifty-six. Jeff Wagner. Six twenty. WTMJ. Quick reminder: We're going to do the Weekend Review live from State Fair next week. Come on out in person. See, I'm the thorn. They are the roses that surround me. All right, it is time for our Right Stuff Awards. Susie Fox.
2: Foxconn means lots of jobs, including ten thousand construction jobs. But who's going to fill those? the Building to Learn Coalition. It's a coalition made up of schools, industry professionals, and companies. They're working on filling the skills gap. And just this week, and I've been out there all week, it's a fabulous um, initiative they have going on. They're working with 50 Milwaukee area teens, they're building wooden boats, they're learning how to apply constructions or math and science skills on the job, and most importantly they're being um, encouraged to consider careers in the trades which are incredibly meaningful and good-paying jobs. Building to Learn. Tracy Johnson. All right,
12: my right stuff award. There were so many to choose from this week, um, but it goes to Craig Culver, the co-founder for Culver's. They announced the expansion of the franchise into two new states, Alabama and Arkansas. They have 632 stores, and I believe I've been to most of them. Yeah, no, (laughs) Um, you know, this I've, I've had a chance to meet this CEO, and he's really he he runs a company with heart. They pay their employees well. They're about culture. They're about service. And um, I just think he gets the right stuff awards. Keep on going.
0: And, and, and my winner this week, um, it's it's a dual award, President Trump. I understand I've been critical of President Trump, Governor Walker, and everybody else responsible for bringing Foxconn to Wisconsin. I understand there's some people that want to throw some cold water on this. I think it is a game changer for the state. And I think we're going to look back four or five years from now and say, wow, um, I really believe that.